Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger recognizes the complexities of today's fire ground and the multitude of incidents that require firefighters to step into areas of increased risk. Draeger's firefighting equipment gives you the confidence to concentrate on the task at hand. Learn more at Draeger.com. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. From Hope, BC, I'm Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. Sean Tracy is the chair of the Home Fire Sprinkler Coalition Canada. He's a former uh, deputy chief with Ottawa Fire and former NFPA Regional Director Canada and joins us today to talk Residential Sprinklers uh, on the podcast. Hi, Sean. Uh, good to have you today. Well, it's great to be here, Tom. I look forward to any opportunity where I can to help talk and promote residential fire sprinkler systems. You know, and I want to go back a bit here because folks uh, that are that are are dialing in and tuning in and, and online listening uh, that that may be familiar with you, but there are those that that don't. And maybe give us a, a little bit of background and, and and such about you and your history and how you got involved in this thing we call fire. Well, it's a it's a very interesting route, actually. Um, I started off my my career as a. Uh, a military engineering officer and in 1997 I was posted here to Ottawa to become the Canadian Forces Fire Marshal uh, and I have to admit it was probably the best job that I ever had it was directing the operations and off uh, operations of the Ottawa uh, sorry the Canadian Fire Services uh, and all of the D&D firefighting services uh, and from that I retired in 2000 to become the first Canadian regional manager for NFPA because I just loved doing what I was doing with the Canadian Forces, uh, I was able to translate that into going across Canada, helping out fire services in Canada. Uh, and then in uh, 2012, I retired, put the suitcases down, and uh, joined the Ottawa Fire Services, and stayed with them until just the uh, August of 2019 when I retired as a deputy chief. And so now in retirement, um, I chose a couple of passion projects, and one of those is residential fire sprinklers. I wanted to get back in and to help champion that cause nationally. Home fire sprinklers, residential sprinklers, different terms get bantied around. Uh, first off, tell us more about the coalition that I talked to. I mentioned the Home Fire Sprinkler Coalition Canada. Is this is this a new venture? I, I'm, I'm not familiar. That's part of our challenge. Um, the Home Fire Sprinkler Coalition started off in the United States 25 years ago, uh, and then there was the, the Canadian um, portion of that, which represented the NFPA operations in Canada, the Cooperators Insurance Corporation, or company, uh, and the Canadian Automatic Sprinkler Association. And as of last fall, uh, the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs are now on board with the Home Fire Sprinkler Coalition. Uh, so that's uh, the Canadian version is is uh, a little bit younger than the uh, the full U.S. version, um, but we are just as invigorated in trying to promote sprinklers in Canada. This is, as you say, going on for a long time, and I was involved in British Columbia and a uh, in a symposium, a, a summit, if you will, where we did the side by side burn and and uh, and were able to demonstrate and do some education. It, it made me think at the time, why is this or why has this been such a struggle to to promote this when it seems pretty much something that's, a, I would say, no brainer in, in, in our minds, right? Well, we would think so. Um, and the challenge really, I think, is that it goes to really fundamentally our, our 
people who buy homes these days are, are trusting and we've always been. Um, we believe that there's a fabric of, of safety in place to protect us and they would not sell us these products if they were not safe. Well, the reality is, is that the homes, the nature of the homes and even the fires that are evolving in our homes have, have changed over the past 20, 25 years uh, because of the content. So fires are burning hotter, quicker, faster. The new methods of home construction make them more uh, prone to damage, have larger fires. Um, greater building-to-building -building, um, fire spread. Sprinklers are a means to address all of that concerns and as well to address the concerns of firefighter safety. It'll reduce the number of cancers that we're going to find with, with firefighters. But our problem is, is, I think, is that the general public just is trusting that, you know, why would you sell those? Why do we need sprinklers? Well, it goes to the same analogy is, is would you consider buying a car nowadays without airbags or seatbelts? We once sold those those cars without those components, but now you would not second guess doing that. And we're, our aim is to try and convince the public of this, but also the builders that sprinklers actually can help and be beneficial to them as well. So when you talk about and use the, the reference to cars and automobiles, for example, where that that may have been an option at one point, that option was taken away and it became mandatory. Is that where we're trying to get to at, at a point where this is this is this is a requirement? We are not looking at it um, trying to go to a regulatory and mandate. Um, Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs through their Building Codes Committee, which I help co-chair, we are looking at a mandatory provision in the National Building Code. Um, because it, it protects the homeowners, but it also protects firefighters. Uh, but the HFSC is still about educating and the um, more the carrot approach as opposed to the stick approach. Uh, so the Home Fire Sprinkler Coalition is the, is the carrot approach at this particular point in time, because we believe that if we convince the builders and the home buyers about the requirements and the benefits, uh, it'll, it'll get us going quicker uh, in the adoption route. Which industry is the uh, is the biggest uh, the biggest stumbling block i mean some have said that home builders don't want to do it for for whatever reasons i mean maybe maybe you can explain what those reasons or that rationale is but you know what about the other industries the insurance industry those uh, those other uh, sides of it can you uh, can you delve into that each group or industry the home builders uh the insurers and even the fire service at times have been Constructing the um, our progress with regards to sprinkler adoptions, but really what it comes down to in all three cases is that they are doing so because of misconceptions and myths. And so one of the key things we can do is reach out to them to try and tear down those. So for instance, with builders, if we can turn around and show them that we can incentivize sprinklers by turning around saying, hey, you can now put in additional homes and subdivisions if you sprinkler. You can reduce the water demand requirements. You can reduce hydrant spacings. Then they see that there's a profit for them. And so they will be supportive of sprinklers. If we show home buyers that, hey, you can see reduced insurance premiums, uh, they will be beneficial. Uh, insurers, we have the battle of trying to convince them that it's not water damage. It doesn't happen. So don't charge for water damages. And for the fire service, it, it's it's still, you know, sprinklers are not a threat to you, to your numbers. You're still going to have the calls. We still require you to get in and verify that all is safe. 
um, but it's going to save you, your firefighters' lives, uh, both in the short term from the fire response, but also on cancers. So our real challenge is, is on three fronts, um, but pre predominantly is just trying to educate them and break down the myths. Who's been the strongest champion of these three uh, of these three industries, or has there been one? You know, I think that the strongest champions have been fire prevention officers and people, you know, like yourselves, who have actually facilitated and done side by side burns in their communities, that have gotten in and do, to go out at the grassroots and to show what this happens. And really, where it's happened and where these have happened, we've had some great successes in British Columbia predominantly, um, and but we're starting to see it in other jurisdictions, most recently in Calgary, uh, Swift Current, Saskatchewan, and in um, other jurisdictions that have cottoned on, and and we have some glimmers of hope out in Atlantic Canada as well. It's, as we talked about the uh, the education struggle, you've you've written a column in, in Firefighting in Canada magazine with the headline that says, a fire chief's role in sprinkler education. You know, you've referred to to fire prevention, but now you, you to to target the fire chief. What is that role? Why is it so important coming from the top? Well, I, I think the the biggest problem that we have right now is that many fire chiefs uh, don't turn their mindset to it, and that is because it's it's seen as a bit of a wicked problem for them. First off, uh, British Columbia has the um, uh, concurrent legislation review that has to happen. Uh, Alberta and Ontario have what we call min-max jurisdictions that would prohibit a municipal bylaw. But all jurisdictions across Canada, the fire chief has the ability to turn around and review developments that are happening within their community and say, you know what, my fire department can't get to those homes in time or I can't get water to those locations. I maybe should have a dialogue with those developers before they get the okay to build those developments to say, let's put sprinklers in. You can then build those houses. You can take advantage of some of the, the trade-offs by putting sprinklers in, uh, and then we can benefit by providing better protection to those residents that are buying those properties. So we're trying to convince the, the fire chiefs that they actually have more power in this than they've ever chosen to exercise. Don't turn your back on the issue, but you can actually start that dialogue going at the development planning stages in your communities. With the idea that, you know, again, that, that goes back to the legal requirements that we would like to see happen as far as building codes and such. So now this ramps it up to, say, a provincial or even a federal level. Is is that being lobbied uh, quite effectively in your mind or not? Uh, well, that's one of the things that um, I am also working with the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs on a white paper that will turn around and look at what our strategy is going to be. Um, we have with the CAFC and others uh, have been trying to, um, through the national code change process, to go and look at changes. In the past, we've looked in the province of Ontario to try and change the provincial regulations that prohibit municipal bylaws. And to be quite frank, there's not a political appetite in the country to do that if we're trying to use the hammer approach because builders scream blue murder. Um, building industry is one of the most highly regulated professions in the country and it's one more burden that they have to carry and they scream blue murder. So why not look at where we can instead go to incentivize 
reach out to them to see, okay, what would make this in your interest to happen? Uh, reducing water supply demand calculations, uh, allowing you to build extra homes in subdivisions in some cases. That's where we think actually we, we would probably have better success than the legislative approach because of the, the hurdles that that causes. Is that what you mean when you speak of equivalency trade-offs and those kind of things? Absolutely. Um, each community is kind of different, and we've seen examples where, where subdivisions have actually been able to go forward, which would not have been able to happen uh, in two examples I cite in Richmond Hill, where you know you had 500 plus home subdivisions going in, which would not have been able to go to that scale because of access road problems or you know site restraints. Um, but we're only able to go forward with those numbers um, because of they sprinkled all the properties, which would never have been required under the code. So as a result, these developers, in, in some cases, got an additional 100 buildings or homes out of a 500-home subdivision. Uh, that's that's um, you know quite a bit of pure profit in a builder's pocket only by putting sprinklers in. And that profit would have paid for the installation costs and that the homeowner would have benefited for you know the 50 years of that house by having protection with a residential sprinkler system. It seems to me that, you know, we've done this for a long time and, you know, I, I almost want to look back and think, where did we go wrong? Where did we miss the opportunity? Is there is there such an example? Well, uh, <laughs> it's a good question. I, I think it's coming really from the, 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 the National Advisory Council, from the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs to say, hey, let's rethink this. You know, um, uh, I think we've been trying to butt heads on the code side for so long that it took uh, a little bit of wisdom to step back and say, okay, let's let's retract this and say, you know, if we reach out and do this in, in partnership where we show the benefits to all of the parties, we can actually get better traction. Did, is there a specific time where we missed the boat? I'm really not sure of that. I think it's just in many cases is the, the fire service in general, not just UI or, but we, we think that well, we, we say it has to be this way, so that's the only way it is. Well, you know, sometimes that just doesn't fly uh, with um, the regulators and the people who are at the code side. The, they have other pressures, and it's sometimes just it's it's our way or the or the or no way it doesn't work. I seem to recall thinking back some 20 years ago in my early days as a young fire officer training that I heard at one point, and it kind of took me by surprise back then, that uh, someone had said to me in a, in a session that uh, fire sprinklers or home fire sprinklers, if they become more popular or more uh, uh, more predominant, that they would they would put us out of business. And I was taken aback by that comment like that. Uh, had you ever heard that before? Oh, yes. Um, we do run into that periodically um, at local levels, uh, at the municipal level with some uh, jurisdictions where they see that um, pushing forward a residential fire sprinkler ordinance would be on the backs of the fire service. Um, and, and that's, we have to basically show that's not the case. It's just like nowadays we don't hire the firefighters who want to be running into the burning buildings. We want the ones that are the thinking firefighters uh, that have an education in prevention and to stop the problems before they arise. Um, and, and it's that wrong headed mindset we have to try and overcome. Um, putting sprinklers in, in in new developments is only going to be addressing the new properties. It will not address the old properties. Uh, it will, in some cases, buy us time if we sprinkler homes because 
what happens uh, is in many cases, municipalities collect development charges, but don't build the firehouse for five or 10 years. So there's houses that are being built without the safeguards of a fire hall in place uh, for five or 10 years. Um, but what this will do is, is that we will still have a requirement for firefighters to go in and check and verify because sprinkler systems still only suppress or contain the fire. You still have to go in and verify it. Um, but as well, we're also finding in their trend is that the, the fire services still are, are, are have other things they can offer and benefits to the community and services with the emergency response. I want to go back to the insurance industry and talk a bit uh, about again their attitude. They're you know trying to educate that that industry. Uh, you know they do give benefits and breaks for fire protection in communities from uh, from you know tanker shuttle those kind of things. Is this part of the uh, the mandate to try and get that recognized? Uh, it, it is already. Um, it's part of uh, again we work with fire underwriter survey and we look at sprinkler protection. Uh, uh, that helps in in determining dwelling protection grades. Um, we are have to work with the insurance industry as well in trying to overcome some of those myths with regards to water damage. But where we're looking at trying to get and go forward with is to try and get some detailed stats from the insurance industry about the total cost of fires. Uh, both sprinkler and non-sprinkler. As we get more and more sprinkler properties, we can show the value of what these have to the insurance community. Um, because we still also periodically find that we have brokers at the local level who say, no, no, you don't want to put a sprinkler system in. I'm going to charge you more for water damage. Well, no, that doesn't work. Uh, that doesn't happen that way. The water damage doesn't happen. What would you rather have? Uh, a sprinkler flowing maybe 25 gallons per minute? Uh, or a fire department coming in with hose lines at 250 gallons per minute, uh, which is going to be better. <laughs> or have to build a new hose. Well, exactly. Well, it raises an interesting analogy. I was on a radio show in Winnipeg um, when we were looking at Winnipeg for a sprinkler ordinance a few years back. Uh, and one of the call-in persons said was he was works for a restoration company. And he said, I do work in restorations and I see fire damage in all of these older properties. I don't know why we should put sprinkler systems in. Well, the rebuttal was, you don't do renovation work on new buildings because they are all usually burnt to the ground, they're total losses. Um, but you were doing on the older buildings where you had legacy construction items and legacy rooms. Um, that's the reality is that our modern buildings are not conducive to to sustaining themselves from fire uh, it's disposable uh, and that's how the building codes perceive them you have a fire it's a total light write-off for the most part you take a look at this all the balls you've got in the air with this topic it's it's actually incredible to try and manage it when you look at you're trying to uh, work out with uh, with various industries from builders to the insurance industries uh, to certainly the fire service and even from the chiefs on down at some point you would think for example, the, the firefighters uh, from a labor perspective would get involved from a safety and protection perspective. And then, of course, there's the public that are going to demand. I think they, they may be the strongest advocate at some point to say this is what we demand in our communities. Yes, we, we may end up getting to that particular point, because right now, um, one of the other things we are dealing with is floor performance in homes. Um, in the United States, just as an example, the building codes, the, the International Residential Code requires the floors in a single family dwelling be protected with sheetrock if they're made of lightweight truss construction. 
There's no provision for that in Canada. Um, why not? Well, it's because they were able to get away with it without having to have the fire services needs met because the protection of first responders is not a core requirement in the building code. The way the building codes group considers it is that if the homeowner is able to get out in less than a minute and a half and standing on the curb, there's no reason for the fire department to go in. Uh, and if we can educate consumers to basically say is, you know what, your home is considered disposable construction according to the codes, but if we put sprinklers in, you can go back into that home after fire the night, that same night. Instead, uh, without sprinklers, if your home is still standing, it's going to be three months or so before you're back in that home. Plus, you will have lost all of your personal possessions. Uh, but the challenge we have is we actually have to then point out just how flawed home construction is and how risky it is nowadays for what is your single biggest purchase of your of your home in your lifetime. It's disposable according to the Canadian code system. And we want to change that. Um, but to do that, we actually have to attack the standards of construction, which everybody's been building for their homes. A lot of the concerns, a lot of the issues. What about the successes? What about the success stories uh, that you've had or you've seen over the years? Well, I think that um, British Columbia is a, is a prime example of, of wonderful success, where you've got 31 municipalities have, have a sprinkler ordinance of some form or another. We have two in Quebec. Um, we have most recently the, the Livingstone communities in, in Calgary that I speak of in the in the post, uh, where they recognized the builders and the and the city of Calgary recognized the benefits of putting sprinklers in. Uh, we talk about Swift Current, where they recognize that they cannot get to some of the development areas where they put those in. We're starting to see these small successes, um, but we'd love to see more. Um, and work that we're going to be doing with the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs will hopefully open that up with the white paper um, and in liaising with the builders to try and make this happen more. Uh, and I think we're sort of at the, the, the upswing of a real tick in, in more adoptions of sprinklers uh, in the next few years. And we would encourage uh, your listeners that if their fire department is not already to become a built for life fire department, um, that is uh, groups that are basically are, are looking at getting in public education information with regards to residential sprinklers. Uh, and very shortly, we will be announcing the stipends of $500 to uh, fire departments across uh, Canada that want to get public education materials uh, and do public education programs specifically on sprinklers. And that is going to be launching shortly. All right. Uh, Sean Tracy, the chair of the Home Fire Sprinkler uh, Coalition Canada, and uh, search for them and have a, a look for some more information. Sean, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by Drager, your trusted safety solution provider. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.